Open your Bibles to Exodus 20. We're going to look at two commandments today. Look at me. Look at me overachieving today, all right? Two commandments. Uh, we're going to look at the eighth and the ninth. Uh, we I, we need to wrap this Ten Commandments deal up here soon. Maybe, maybe this week there's a lot more of Moses' life that we need to cover. But for today, we're going to look at two commandments. So we're going to look at the Eighth Commandment, the Ninth Commandment. Uh, you shall not steal and you shall not lie. Uh, those are going to be the two we're going to look at together. Um, I, we're really not going to have two sermons. They actually go together really well. Uh, they they um, they have a lot of similarities. <laughs> yeah, stealing and lying. Who who would ever thought those go together? Um, <laughs> but anyway, spiritually, uh, there's some deep connections just as far as um, the response to them, uh, our response to them, uh, I, what I would call the cure uh, to those, and really the motive for, for uh, sinning in those ways are similar. So I, I think they're going to go together well. And uh, so we're going to look at those two commands today. Exodus 20, we'll look at verse 15 and verse 16 in the Ten Commandments. All right, let me read those. We'll pray and we'll get started this morning, all right? So Exodus 20, 15, in the Ten Commandments, you shall not steal. Verse 16, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Father in heaven, we thank you for the beauty of your character, of uh, your name, your reputation, your fame, your glory. Father, we stand in awe that you are a promise keeper, you are a truth speaker, you're a lavish giver, Father. And God, we, we trust that you are changing our hearts to be that. We trust, God, you are changing our hearts, God, to, to live that out. So Lord, please speak to us today. Um, please reveal your word, reveal your truth, reveal the beauty of the gospel. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I, I am not going to do my lengthy introduction urging you not to um, look at the Ten Commandments as a means to salvation. I, we've, uh, we've done that five times already. Uh, I don't think I need to do that for you again. Uh, I will just urge you, <laughs> that this is all I'm going to do, I'm just going to urge you, you, you cannot be saved by obeying the Ten Commandments. First of all, because you can't do it. You have not done it. You've already, you've already blown it. You're a sinner. You're broken. You're in need of a Savior. Your only means of righteousness is to be joined to the resurrected Jesus Christ by repentance and faith, okay? So I'm just assuming we've laid that, that foundation sufficiently enough that we can just kind of move into these two commandments. Now, what we do want to do today is we want to talk about how the commandments of God, and we've done this I think each week, but but this is especially beautiful, I think, today, how the commandments of God display the character of God. So when God is giving us his law, when, he, when he's saying, this is what it means to be in covenant with me, and he gives us his commandments, one of the things he is doing is he is displaying the beauty and the justice and the worth of God, okay? And, and we see that so, so vividly in these commands. So, for instance, when, when, when God commands and says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, in other words, you shall not lie, what, what is God saying there? At the heart of what God is saying is that he is not a liar, okay? And the Bible would, would trumpet that for you, that, that Titus 1-2 says, in hope of eternal life, which God who never lies has promised, Hebrews 6-18 says, it is impossible 
impossible for God to lie. God does not deceive you. Isn't that wonderful? My friends, everything would crumble. All of our faith, all of our hope, all of that, everything would crumble if there was any doubt whatsoever about God's truthfulness. But there is none. God is not a liar, okay? You are told you shall not lie. You shall not bear false witness because God himself is one who speaks truth, okay? God never deceives you. He, God never deceives you into thinking something is a better deal than it is, okay? Our world is full of false advertising. Did you know that? Our world is full of people telling you something is better than it actually is, okay? But God never does that. Salvation is better than you can imagine, all right? God does not, he does not tell you something about salvation that isn't true. The forgiveness of God is more comprehensive than you can know. The riches of our inheritance in Christ is more than your mind can comprehend, okay? So whenever God tells you you're forgiven, whenever he tells you you are saved, whenever he tells you you are justified, whenever he tells you that he loves you, you... You, you should not at all have any doubt in your mind that it is exactly that and probably more than you can imagine. It is never less, okay? I, I love what Paul says about the love of God in, in Ephesians chapter 3, verse, um, let's see, it's 18 and 19. He says, you may have, he's praying that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the height and the breadth and the length and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, I mean, God says, man, I love you, and I want you to know that the extent that I love you is beyond. It is deeper, wider, higher, bigger than you could ever imagine. It surpasses knowledge. The glories of the new heavens and the new earth, they will never disappoint. In this world, people lie. They deceive about the value of things, about the value of what they will do for you or your, their commitment to you. God will never do that, okay? God never deceives you into thinking that something is horrible when it really isn't. Now, that happens sometimes, doesn't it? Yeah, sometimes people will tell us something is really bad, and then it ends up not being really bad, okay? But God never does that. Last week, when Jesus told us that it would be better to live with one eye and, and to lose your right hand than it would be to go to hell, you know what? That's true. Like, like you can count on. The, the, the Bible is true when God tells you that. Hell is horrible. Sin is that misery-producing. Being separated from God is that bad, Okay? People will exaggerate all the time, right? People will, will overstate things. Why? Because people lie. They, 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 they're not of truth, okay? A lot of times people will just say things and you, you automatically know, right? How many times have you heard someone say, man, I had the worst day ever? And you're like, really? You've told me that like five times in the last month, you know? It just keeps getting worse, you know? But you kind of know in your mind, you know what? They're just exaggerating. God doesn't do that. You know, when Jesus says there, there, there is a place where people go who reject the Messiah, and, and, it, and it's a place of a lake of fire, man, it really is. When he says it's eternal torment, it really is. In Revelation 19, 15, when Jesus says he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty, that's not an overstatement. Like God is a truth speaker, guys. He's a truth speaker. Unlike anybody else in the world, God speaks truth. God never acts as if he has done something when he really hasn't. People do that, don't they? They, they pretend they've done things. They allude to having done things, but they really, really haven't done things. God doesn't do that. In Psalm 103, 12, when he tells you, as far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed your transgressions from you. Man, he's, he's true. He, he, he really has done that. 
God will never say you're forgiven and he really hasn't forgiven you. He's really just waiting to bring it up later. God doesn't do that. God will never tell you that he will be or do something that he won't really do or be. When he says, I'll never leave or forsake you, it's not that at some point he's gonna get tired or weak or or regret, regret his decision and, and then change his mind. No, God never promises you something and then doesn't deliver. When he promises you eternal life or the indwelling Holy Spirit or the imputed righteousness of Jesus or the weight of glory beyond all comparison, God will always deliver what he has promised. How glorious, how magnificent that our God is a God of truth, okay? And so when you read in the scriptures in God's law and he says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not lie. Behind that is this Mount Everest of the reality that God is a God of truth, okay? Now, the eighth commandment says, you shall not steal, okay? Behind that commandment is this reality that God is lavishly generous, okay? I don't know how you see God, but if you see him as a taker, you you have missed who God is. God is not a taker. God is actually the ultimate giver. As you as you turn through the pages of scripture, you realize that God has lavishly given to you. Ephesians 1:3 says of every believer that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8 Verse 9, it says of Jesus in his incarnation and his leaving heaven and, and coming to earth, it says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. God left the glories of heaven, the majesties of the throne room of God, and he emptied himself and he came, born to teenage parents, in a barn, in obscurity, in poverty, that he might join you to his son, that he might adopt you you into his family, that you might become a joint heir of Jesus so that all that belongs to Jesus would belong to you. Now you tell me, is God a giver or is he a taker? He's a giver, right? He is an ultimate giver. Okay, in Romans chapter 8, verse 32, Jesus or Paul says, when you look at the cross, when you look at the gospel, the, the ultimate conclusion you should make is this. Romans 8, 32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? He said, you should come to the conclusion that God is not gonna withhold from you anything that is good, that he's gonna give you all that he has promised, okay? God is a giver. He is a giver. Marvel this morning at the glorious character of our God. Okay, so you have the law here. You shall not steal. You shall not lie. You have behind that the character of God, that God is, God is a God of truth and God is a God of lavish giving, lavish generosity. Now, go to the other end of the spectrum, the devil, okay? The great enemy of God, the devil is both a liar and a thief. In John 10, 10, Jesus says of the devil, he says, he has come, the thief comes only to steal, to kill and destroy. In John 8, 4, he describes Satan as a liar and the father of lies, okay? Now, but below that, all right, so, so below that, kind of seeping into our life is this reality that all temptation to sin is rooted in lies, all right? We know that the enemy of God is both a thief and a liar, and we know that the way in which he tempts us to sin, the way in which he tempts us to be separated from God is through lies. All sin Sin that brings death, misery, separation from God is rooted in lies. Now, we see this, of course, in the Garden of Eden. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 4 and 5, 
Adam and Eve in perfect fellowship with God. And, and, and then the serpent comes to them. And verse four, it says, the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The, the whole fall of mankind was rooted in a lie about God. Basically, the, the serpent tempted Adam and Eve to believe that God was not who he said he was, that God would not do what he said he would do, that God had not told them the truth, okay? And I, I, would, I would say carry that forward, and what you find today is the devil distorts reality. He distorts the character of God. The devil will lie to you. All sin kind of comes from this root of, of a lie about what is truly treasure, what is truly valuable, what will truly satisfy your soul, what is the value of, of, of everything, okay? All of that is distorted by sin. In fact, the Bible says that, that inside of you, in your brokenness, in your broken humanness, what the Bible calls the flesh, is, is there are these things called deceitful desires. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul is telling us how we're to put off the old man and to put on the new man. And here's how he describes your old person, your old flesh. He says in Ephesians 4, 22, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. I've, I've always said this is one of the most helpful phrases in the New Testament, okay? This was like one of those life-changing moments for me when I really got a hold of that, that little phrase, deceitful desires. What, what the Bible is telling us there is that our very desires lie to us. You're, you're going to desire things that, that are a lie. You're, you're going to value things that are a lie. Our flesh, our sinful flesh desires things like vengeance and sexual morality and sensuality and prideful exaltation, selfish control to be made much of. Our, our sinful flesh desires idols and all of those things are a lie. They're a lie. They, they will not satisfy. They will not bring you what they advertise to you, Okay. They're a lie. Our fleshly desires dishonor God. They steal our joy. They bring misery. They lead to eternal death. They are a lie. All of our brokenness can be traced back to believing lies. Both lies about God, lies about yourself. How many of you have heard things like this in your mind? You're too bad to be forgiven. I can't tell you how many people have told me that. I'm too bad to be forgiven. That's just a lie. That is a diminishing of the cross. Some people, some people present it like, well, I'm just that bad, you know? I'm just, I'm just this terrible guy. You don't know what I did in prison, or you don't know what I did, you know, in my life. I'm like, hey, you must not know what Jesus has done. I mean, that's your problem. I'm not saying you're not bad. I believe you're every bit as bad as you say you are, probably worse. You probably don't know how bad you are. What I'm telling you is Jesus is a lot better. He's a lot better than you are better. I don't know the batter's a word, but anyway, they seem to go together, all right? It's a lie, right? But phrases like, God doesn't want me. Things will never be better. You don't have any friends. No one could ever love you. Man, those are lies. Our, our, our minds even are saturated with lies. Or maybe you're broken. This is prone to a different kind of lie. Maybe you hear things like this in your mind. Hey, go ahead and do it. God would want you to be happy. You deserve this. I can't tell you how many people hear that in their head. You deserve this. Or 
how about this? After all you put up with, you deserve this pleasure. No one has it as bad as you. How many, how many of you hear that going through your head at work and in your family? No one has it as bad as you. You know, you've put up with all this. Man, that, those are lies straight from the pit of hell. And your mind is saturated with them. That's part of our brokenness. Philippians chapter 4 tells you the way that you, 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 you begin to fix that is by setting your mind on the things of Christ. Paul says in Philippians 4, 8, finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What's Paul saying in your sanctification? You, you, begin, to, you begin to defeat your broken sinfulness by setting your mind on the truth. And so as you can see, these commands, do not steal, do not lie, are right at the heart of the Christian life. Now, another question, okay? Are you ready for this one? Why do people steal and lie, okay? Now, it's interesting. I th actually think I'm going to give you three reasons. Not that these are the only three. There, there may be a whole bunch of reasons, okay? But I think these three are main reasons, okay? And it's interesting that but all three of these apply to both stealing and lying, okay? So these kind of go together. It's kind of one of the things that made this an easy sermon to preach together, Okay? Three reasons why people steal and lie. Number one, to do harm to others. Number two, fear of trouble. Number three, to gain our desires. Okay, now we're gonna look at each one of those, okay? So number one, to do harm to others, all right? To do harm to others. Obviously, obviously, people at times will, will steal. They, they will lie in order to hurt someone, all right? In, or, in order to, to harm somebody, um, harm either their, take their possessions, take their money, take their reputation, um, particularly with lying. Uh, let, let, let me read you something about lying, okay? In Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6 through 19, it says this. Um, that's the wrong passage. Oh, it's 16. Yeah, oh, I'm sorry, okay. Proverbs 6, 16. There are six things the Lord hates. Seven are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, okay, there's, there's one, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that divides his wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. I would say two to three, that last one, one who sows discord among brothers, two to three of those are about lying, okay? So th there are times where people will lie and steal simply to harm somebody else. Um, I would say the most common uh, you might say thief, uh, being a thief is, is the way that people do this most often, you know, actually taking someone's possessions, taking their money. Uh, they, they hate them. They want to take from them. Um, I, I know that happens, but I'll tell you what happens more than that is the stealing of somebody's name, okay? Proverbs 22.1 um, by, by the way, I've got this great friend named Galen Cox. Many of you know him. Galen Cox has, has kind of uh, branded this verse into my brain. It is so significant to him. He mentions it all the time. Um, but, but it's this. It's, it's a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. And essentially what it says is your reputation in the eyes of others your, your name, kind of who, your name is who you are, who you are to people, okay? 
the, 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 the writer of Proverbs says, is, is better than silver or gold, okay? It's really what determines whether people will trust you. It's what determines whether they want to be your friend. It's what determines whether they want to do business with you. It determines whether they want to join you in some mission endeavor, okay? And the writer of Proverbs says it is incredibly valuable. Now, here's what happens, though. Angry people, vengeful people will try to steal your name. They'll, tr- they'll try to take from your reputation. That, that is the most common kind of both lying and thieving. Here, th- th- this is one area where lying and thieving come together, okay? Because slander is both lying about somebody in an attempt to steal their name, to steal their character, okay? It slanders to say something untrue about someone that will damage their name, that will make others think less of them. It is saying things about them maybe you don't know to be true, maybe you speculate to be true, that will have the effect of lessening them in the eyes of others. And and a lot of times, this is simply done to raise our own status. A, A lot of people will seek to tear somebody down in order to raise their own status in the eyes of the one that they're speaking to. Often it's done in retaliation, again, to harm somebody. Someone has harmed us, or at least we perceive that they've harmed us. And so instead of lashing back openly, what, 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 what do people often do? They will suddenly leak disparaging information that will tear down an enemy in the eyes of those to whom they speak. It is wicked. It is hatred. It is not love. Proverbs 26, 28 says, a lying tongue hates its victims. Okay. Someone who slanders is somebody who hates. It's somebody who hates other people. I I would say this, as a believer, as one who has come into the truth of God and the truth of the gospel, I would say this, before you communicate information about somebody that will lessen them in the eyes of the people that you speak, you should ask yourself some questions. Number one, you should ask yourself, is it true? Do do you know this to be true? Or are you speculating? Are you assuming? Are Are you attributing motive where you don't know that there's motive? Are you attributing intent where you don't know there's intent? And then I would ask yourself this third question. Is it necessary to say what you're about to say? Okay, now, now, even if you get past, is it true, okay, then you have to ask the question, is it necessary? Do, do you need to say this? Is there some compelling reason why it needs to be shared? You're about to take somebody's name. You're about to take their reputation. You're, you're about to attempt to, to tear them down in the eyes of other people, which Proverbs says is a valuable thing. You're about to take that and, and just ask yourself, Is there a compelling reason why you should do that? Now, sometimes there is. Sometimes there's there's justice that's on the line and and the reality of things have to be reported to an authority or things have to be reported as a crime or or things have to be said in order to protect the innocent. Sometimes there is a compelling reason. I'm not saying there never is, but I'm saying you should ask yourself that. Because the Bible says slander is, is a wicked thing. So number one, people will steal and lie to harm somebody. Number two, people will steal and lie out of fear of trouble. Okay, you can surely Im- imagine a situation in which someone steals out of fear of not having what they're going to need, uh, fear of not being able to provide for their family. 
You can surely imagine a scenario where a man will pad his expense account a certain month because he he knows he's got car repairs coming up, you know? His car has been in the shop and and the repair bill's coming due. He doesn't know how he's going to pay that. And so he steals from his employer. He pads his expense account so he can get more money to pay his car bill. Or maybe an employee takes supplies from work to sell for or use for himself in order to make ends meet one month when things are tight. Surely in the area of lying, you can see where many will lie out of fear of trouble. I, I think this is where most kids get their start in lying, right? They, they have done something that is wrong. They've done something that they know they are guilty. They know they, know they, they shouldn't have done it. They know there's going to be consequences. And so what do they do? They learn to lie in order to not get in trouble, you know? Did you take that cookie? Did you break that vase? No, not me, you know? It was brother. It was somebody else. I, I just walked in. I haven't even been here. Mama, I was down the block, you know? And, and it's all out of an attempt to uh, fear getting into trouble. How many adults, you know, who, who do things they regret and then they begin to spin the truth to avoid the consequences of what they have done or what they've said? So we steal and we lie to get out of trouble. Thirdly, we steal and we lie to gain our desires. People steal to get what they want. They they steal to have possessions, to have status, to meet their desires. Sometimes, sometimes just because they want it. Not even because they need it, just because they want it. And that's absolutely why people lie. People lie to get what they want. You You know, I think a large category why people lie is to get attention. They lie about what they've done or they've accomplished in a desire for people to think well of them in order to impress people, in order to have the applause of men, in order to have the favor of others. Or maybe they just simply lie because they want the sale, they want the contract, they want to win, they want the position, they want the corner office, they want the bid, and so they're willing to lie in order to get what they want. And what I would challenge you with today is that whatever those reasons exist for why people steal and lie, all of those reasons are rooted in unbelief, okay? Hear me out, okay? They're all rooted in in, in not believing that God is who he says he is and that he will do everything he said he would do. All of those reasons are deeply rooted in unbelief. My friends, think, think through. Let's, let's, just, let's just think about the gospel. If you have embraced the gospel, if you believe that Jesus is everything he says he is, he's going to do everything he says he's going to do, and you've embraced the love of God for you, you won't want to hurt people, first of all. You, you will find the joy of the Lord in loving people, even as God in Christ has loved you. And even when you have been deeply hurt, even when you, you have been betrayed or sinned against, you will not lie or steal in order to get your vengeance. Why? Because you have something better. You have something better. You have someone better. You see, the gospel is a life changer. People people don't steal and lie when they have embraced the gospel, when they are appropriating the gospel because you have something better, okay? You can trust that vengeance doesn't have to be yours. In fact, the Bible says it's not yours. It says it belongs to the Lord and God's care is better than your reputation destroying words, okay? God's care is better than your slanderous jabs. God's care is better than your false accusations. God caring for you is better than you taking your own vengeance. It's better than you taking things into your own hands. 
And rather than addressing your fears and your desires by lying and stealing and attempting to secure your own satisfaction, you have someone who is better. Listen, you could steal money or fame or possessions. Let me ask you this one question. And this, this question may determine whether you're a Christian or not. Isn't God able to take better care of you than that? You see what I'm saying? Isn't God able to take better care of you than that? Isn't God able to give you joy at a higher level than the money or possessions or applause that you might steal and lie for? God is a better provider than your thievery, than your lying. Listen, when you've done something wrong, when you've messed up, you, you've, you've blown it and you know you have, which is better? Which is better? If you can lie your way out and you, you can deceive everybody into thinking that you didn't really do what you just did, or is it better for you to repent, tell the truth, and trust that God will be more gain to you than the gain you were attempting through the lie? I mean, see how you think about that situation right there says a lot about how you think about God. You know, you, you've blown it. Let's go over it again. You've blown it. You blew it. You just, man, I, you just blew it, okay? Your, your next step there is going to say a ton about what you think about God. Whether you think, well, man, my only way out of this is to lie and to try to deceive everybody and to try to spin the truth to make it where I, I didn't really, you know, do all this bad, th this bad thing that I just did. Or, or in your mind, or do you say, you know what? I would rather be right with God. I would rather put myself in his hands. I would rather trust him. I, I, I would rather have him as my advocate. I'd rather just come clean, repent, you know, come clean about what I did, put myself in the hands of God, and I trust him. I think about that story in the Old Testament. That just popped into my mind where, where uh, David has sinned in numbering the people, and God gives him three choices, you know. Uh, let's see, it's uh, pest, it's, um, fall into the hands of your enemies, um, pestilence, what's the third one? Pestilence or basically fall into the hands of the Lord. Anyway, David picks, uh, I want to fall into the hands of the Lord. He's like, don't, don't deliver me to my enemies. Don't, you know, I, I, I would rather, I'd rather be in the hands of the Lord. Like I just, I trust him. And, and ask yourself this, what is the favor of God worth to you? What, what is it worth to you to be like him, to obey his commands, to have his provision? Are you willing to give that up or set yourself at odds with God? Okay, I want you to really answer this question. Are you willing to give up the favor of God and say, you know what, if I have to be at odds with God and I have to sin against him and be at odds with his character, but I get 20 bucks, I think I'm a winner. Okay, a lot of you are frowning at 20, okay? Let's go up, 100, Okay. Put myself at odds with God, but I get $100. I, I lie and steal and I get 100 Okay, you're still frowning. All right, how, how about 1000 How about 10000 Hey, how about 100000 Surely some of you are starting to think a bit there, okay? Which, which would be better, to put myself at odds with God by lying and stealing, but by lying and stealing, I get 100000 See, how you think about that is incredibly important. I think the Bible would say that 100,000 is chump change. How can you put a price tag on the favor of the Lord, 
on the blessings of his power in your life, the blessings of his power in the lives of your children, the blessings of his power to keep you from a multitude of miseries. See, I think a believer will say, I'd rather trust the Lord. I'm, I'm gonna tell the truth. I'm, I'm not gonna take what's not mine. And I'm gonna put myself in the hands of the Lord. There's this great passage in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 13, verse five and six. It's about money, interestingly enough. And I want you to follow it with me, okay? Hebrews 13, five and six. Let's, let's just walk through it very, very, very slowly here, okay? So Hebrews 13, five. Keep your life from the love of money and be content with what you have, okay? So don't, don't love money. Don't value money uh, more than you ought. Uh, be content with what God has given. Okay, why? Here, here it comes, ready? For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Okay, so you have a promise from God. All right, so, so don't, 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 don't love this. Don't love money to be content with what you have. Why? Because God has given you a promise, okay? The promise is I will never leave you or forsake you. And now notice the response, okay? So if you believe the promise that, that you belong to God and he will never leave you nor forsake you, Look at the next verse, okay, verse six. So we can confidently say, okay, we can say this, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. Man, do you see the confidence that that unleashes? For you to be able to say the Lord is my helper. Like the Lord is my constant companion who helps me, who is there for me. And you know what it is to have a helper, right? Like, that, that's pretty awesome, you know? Have you ever been out working and you, they, they send a helper? Yeah, this person is there to help you. Can you imagine having the Lord as your helper? Now, what should this do in the life of a believer? Well, turn, turn back to Ephesians 4. Now, again, Ephesians 4 is this great passage about putting off the old man, the old flesh, okay, that's, that's captured by deceitful desires and putting on the new man. The new man is in the image and the likeness of God. That's what verse 24 says. Put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness, okay? So put away the deceitful desires, put on the new man. Okay, notice in regards to theft is, is what we're gonna look at. Verse 28, Ephesians 4, 28. Let the thief no longer steal. So this is a believing thief, okay? So he was a thief, and then he became a believer, okay? Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, okay? So instead of stealing, he's gonna work hard, doing honest work with his own hands. And then here's the, here's the beautiful, maybe unexpected part, okay? See, if you just leave it at, Hey, instead of stealing, you know, you were a thief, but you became a Christian, and so you don't steal anymore. You got a job, and you're working hard. Okay, that, that's good. That's, that's, that's good. But there's a lot of people that work hard, and you know, what's their motive? What's, there's a lot of people that work 80, 90 hours a week. What's their motive? Spend it right here, right? Right on me. Uh, I'm going to work hard for me. I'm going to work hard so that, so that I have nice things. I, I don't think we've reached the character of God yet, right? But, but notice, notice here, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. 
All right, so this thief, he, he's been transformed, hasn't he? He's lived his life lying and stealing in order to take out of, out of harm, out of fear, or out of his own desire to have things. And now all of a sudden, his heart has been changed. And now he's, gonna, he's, gonna, he's not going to steal. He's not going to take from anybody. He's not going to lie. He's not going to deceive. He's going to work real hard. And why is he going to work hard? Because he wants to be a giver. He wants to be a blesser. He wants to be a sharer. My friends, I, th- I think that's sanctification, isn't it? Like that's the putting off of the old man and the putting on of the new man. Why, why does that thief want to give? Why, why does he want to share? I, I think because he is confident that the Lord is his provider, right? The Lord is his provider. Pray that that is happening in each one of us, that that process of sanctification, of becoming like our king, because our God is a God of truth, and he's a God who's a lavish giver, and we should be like that. Let's ask God to help us. Father, we ask you, God, to pour your Holy Spirit out upon us. Father, we are asking that you would change our hearts, God, change our hearts from from the brokenness of lies and deceptions and the brokenness of of taking from others uh, in an attempt to take care of ourselves. God, change our hearts to one of faith, to, to one that is completely convinced that you will take care of us, that you are, are more than enough for all that we need. And so, Father, we ask that you would transform our hearts from that of a thief to that of a lavish giver. Father, we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.